0: Blog Talk Radio. They'll spend time speaking about different goddesses from all over the world, paying attention to the ancient reverence of long-ago cultures and infusing it with a modern perspective. Elvira, Phoenix, take it away.
1: Well, there we go. I almost didn't unmute us fast enough. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. For us to run in and say, we're taking it away, you know, that's kind of like... (laughs)
2: The ultimate in a oxymoron. Well, I guess they aren't there yet.
1: <laughs> We're literally yeah. muted.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, we've had that happen too, I guess, in our time. Um, well, this is a, an interesting time. I'm going to just jump in. How was your week? And the last time we had our wonderful conversations, what has happened?
1: Yeah. Let's see what has happened. You know, today is very full. I have a very busy. Schedule. What's, I was noticing um, – so I'm, I'm teaching at California Witch Camp this summer, which I was supposed to do last summer, and it was obviously because of COVID put on hold and rescheduled for this summer, but it still won't be happening in person. The location where it's normally held has shut down any in-person gatherings for the year. So we're going to do it online. And I've noticed, I don't know if there's a correlation here or if I'm just making this up, but I've noticed that ever since the energy of California Witch Camp and all that entails being a facilitator of that process, you know, teaching a path and putting together rituals and holding this spiritual energetic for seven days, all of a sudden my calendar feels full. Like I've got stuff going on every day. Tomorrow, I've got a bunch of shop business to do. Sunday, I'm hosting my friend's baby shower. I, I have, like, student meetings and reading appointments and classes. You know, it's like all the stuff I normally do, but one of the things COVID has done for me is create a lot more spaciousness where I'm not actually overscheduled. And all of a oh. sudden, I feel a little overscheduled.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's like
1: st- it's stuff I love to do like I'm, I'm pleased with all of it it's just a, it feels like a little bit too much like t- just today literally is I had a, a two and a half hour meeting and then a phone call and then a check-in and then the radio show and then I have a phone call and a check-in and a reading and then I need to go to the shop because our point of sale system took a shit and I had a, I have a new system coming in today so I have to go in and you know, play uh, tech support, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is not necessarily my strong suit, but I I'll do it. Right. So you know, it's just like today's too full. Today's too full, but you know, everything's I, yeah. good.
2: Everything's, everything's good. good. <laughs> well, <that's> good to <laughs> hear that everything is. Good. How am I doing? Well, let's see. Um, I finally got. It's been almost a year. It's a year-long process to try and get a dental situation. When you do an implant, and you do, um, you you have this, you know, becomes a fake tooth. But it, it's really kind of fascinating how they put it together. But it takes a year because what happens is, is you have to be able to not only get your extraction and heal from your extraction, and then you go in and they do an implant. They have to make sure that when they you've got an extraction. They can put in bone graft if it's needed, okay, because it's yeah. going to need more solid base to put this little chunk of thing in there with a screw in it that will eventually mm-hmm. become like your root canal, your roof and all the rest of it. So that's what they did, and I've been waiting, and I've been waiting, and I've gone through all that. So the last bit came in, like, I think it was um, January where they went in. And they, you know, put the 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 the, uh, the implant in, and then they said you're ready to go. You know, they said you have to, you know, kind of live with it for a while. And they checked it; and everything was really great. So I made the appointment with the. That was the extractionist, the doctor himself, and the, the dentist. I got a really great dentist after having a year of someone who, as a pinch hit from the one my my favorite that retired. Um. And I paid her a lot of money. And I think after the fact, I probably didn't need to pay all that money. I think it was a little mm. bit a, a little overkill. But that being said, um, this guy's really good, and I love him, and he's, you know, da-da-da. So he went in, and he just finished. He did the little, like, you have to go in, and you have to make it. And there's a whole program, and they they, make, they basically create it on a computer. And it does it and makes it attached to the place that it, you know, to the actual making of that tooth. And they've done all the coloring for your teeth and everything. And then they, they, it comes out, and it, it is, it's neat, and it has a hole in it, because what they're going to do is they're going to put it, screw it in through the, the hole. They're going to screw it in, and then they put a, a cover over it, and then they fill it. So it becomes literally a tooth, but in the process they have to go through uh, baking it to make it hard, and then it becomes, it looks just like a tooth, and you put mm-hmm. it in, and it was all fun and games. And, I mean, I'm there at the dentist for about an hour and a half just sitting. I mean, I had a nice chair, and they let me watch some TV and stuff. So it was really nice, but um, it took time. <laughs> and between that and my journey to Costco and um, my house being shown and having to make sure it was all ready before I left and the dogs were out. So they weren't, you know, underfoot and, you know, then there was an, you know, different things happened. So we, you know, it's been very busy and then
1: yeah.
2: um, cluttered. I mean, I've been packing
1: I've been <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> said myself I'm
2: packing. So I'm packing all my books, which is fascinating how I get to go over my entire book collection. Mm-hmm. And other than the fact that I have found some things like my mother's, um, handwritten recipe book that um, I put aside and stuff on my family uh, genealogy that I had. But I found all these books that, you know, when you have a bookcase and you you look at them, you don't think about them. But when you start pulling them out and looking at what you have what acquired and the breadth and depth of your interests, and a lot of this is all, I kept all my spiritual when I moved my last time. And a very few of the non, you know, spiritual stuff and I just I'm amazed I'm totally yeah. amazed so I'm doing that and of course we had to do our research for our subject so I had that and yeah. the, you know just amazing how the days started out looking like they were going to be reasonable and just like you they turned into this mishmash of stuff mm-hmm. that you just your mind just goes I don't know if I can do all of this. And somehow, you know, you do a fair amount. So I'm kind of there no. in a different way with you in terms of the time and what is spent, how how it starts somewhat cluttered and then it gets even more cluttered. And as you say, we've had a lot more space with um, the, the uh, COVID situation. So, of course, it's, you know, kind of... It's just really strange how things have have shifted. And all online, you know, conversations online, visitations online. I had a very dear friend of mine who does not do FaceTime, does not do anything online except, you know, Facebook and likes and things and she'll text, Um, has a health crisis because she's elderly. And I'm like, okay, uh, I can't get her to FaceTime. And I'm like, I called her daughter and I said, you're going to have to set her up because none of us can do what we used to do when somebody is in this kind of a crisis. We could go over and sit with them and, you know, have coffee or tea or just chat or just hold their hand or whatever. I said, you've got to get her so we can do this online. I'm sorry. She's going to have to. I said, FaceTime is probably the easiest because you just, you know, messenger, you hit it. It says yes. It's like a phone call. So hopefully that will make things a little easier for all of us to connect with her. So that was my week.
1: Nice.
2: Yeah. yeah. So, but, um, and my dogs actually, because the house got shown today, I was like, hi, we need to show the house at 11 at o'clock. And I'm like, no, 11.15. And for some reason, I kept thinking he was saying 12.15. And I'm going, to have mm-hmm. a radio show. I have a radio show. I have to be in my house ready to do this at 12.45. And he was going, it's 11.45. <laughs> So I took the dogs and I went out of the area and I sat at my the clubhouse and I walked the dogs and I actually had spent some time with a couple of my neighbors who actually were out and we sort of social distanced on their porch and the dogs loved it because they always get treats so I guess that was a good way to start my day in terms of that so
1: nice. here we are nice here we are
2: yep, yep here we are so. Our subject matter is yeah. Doreen Valente. And I'm gonna yeah. let you do a little bit of the because I love it when we did the Gardinarian tradition she
1: mm-hmm. did come up
2: because she was very much a part of that and we will go into yeah. more of that. But you got yeah. very intense about it and I was like, Oh <laughs> and I in reading her history, I'm like going no wonder. She was a freaking yeah. moving you know the moving energy behind us, so many, not just him, but so much, and you're like going, and it was so I'm gonna have to say this male chauvinist, so
1: oh yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, there you are. My... The, 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 we are none of us are free from it, yeah, so those of you who have been listening for a long time know that Elvira and I tend to do like series where like we did a series about the elements and a series about tools and a tarot series. So one of the things we're toying with this year is sort of what I've been thinking of as a series of the mighty dead. So talking about these folks that are pioneers of modern witchcraft or um, whose works have greatly influenced modern witchcraft and to talk a little bit about them and give some context of who they are and what they contributed. Um, Because a lot, you know, there's this weird thing happening culturally right now where there's this divide happening between Wicca and witchcraft. And there's almost this polarization to a certain degree of people um, who are, you know, I practice witchcraft, not Wicca, and sort of looking down on Wicca. But a lot of what modern people are practicing is greatly influenced by Wicca. And Wicca and the esoteric movement, really, of the 30s, 40s, 50s, and even into the 60s, is where all the roots of this really come from. You know, we can look at older sources too, of course, because the practitioners from those times were looking at older sources, but we're greatly influenced by all of that. And Doreen Valiente is the first name that we're calling upon in our mighty dead memory. And, uh, and I'm excited about it. Cause she's pretty cool. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, she really is. And, you know, as I said, I was just, I was really stunned, you know, with the um the history of this woman. Yeah. And you're just like going yeah. And I have to say, and it's not a spoiler, she never had children. Right. And you know, she she turned her energies in a time when, you know, again there was a lot of change in women uh women's roles and how they mm-hmm. you know where they were and
1: she mm-hmm.
2: was you know, had several husbands, she had no children that she had, it was
1: just, she devoted herself to this particular focus, and mm-hmm. I'm just, I went, wow. So Yeah, yeah, and she, you know, she wasn't, like, a lot of what we have, you know, even Gerald Gardner, to a certain extent, was kind of a wealthy dude, and, and you know, it's likely that some of Gardner's money came from being shady and, and, and taking bribes and things like that, but whatever, he had a lot of money. Doreen valiente didn't she lives in council estates which in 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 England council estates are government housing um, so when you can't afford um, you know when you can't afford to to pay for your own housing, you can apply for government housing and it's free housing so it's like the you know what we might call the projects in the united states right They're, these are right. very very small very um, plain lodgings and in fact some of the writings about her towards her end of life describing her council flat was that it was cramped and cluttered and filled with books you know it was an uncomfortable tiny apartment so here we don't have a socialite this is not a socialite woman who was wealthy and could just explore the esoteric to fulfill her you know boredom of just having so much money she didn't have anything else to do like she had to work she had jobs in different um, companies and organizations all throughout her life and exploring spirituality. She was married twice, like you said, Elvira, but they're both foreign men. So she also faced a lot of weird backlash and um, racism because of being married to to foreign men, a Greek man, and then a Spanish man. And this was, you know, during a time of world conflict during world war one. And then the, her second husband immigrated to England after fleeing the Spanish civil war so it's also a very different time that she was coming into all of this. Um, yeah. Well, maybe just I'll give some like overarching information and then we can kind of go through her life perhaps. Maybe that's a good way yeah. to do it, but that's a she's good one. a British woman. She was born in, on January 4th in 1922 in London, England. Um, and then she lived for 77 years. She died in 1999. So I know for me, When I hear someone born in 1922, that sounds like someone that I couldn't have had interaction with. To me, that seems like someone from a different era. But she died in 1999. Like, I was, I turned 21 in 1999. You know, we definitely could have connected. And I was a witch in 1995. You know, like, I had this four-year window where I was a witch at the same time as Doreen Valiente. You know, like, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but yeah. she, she was there at the beginnings of Wicca. She was the first real high priestess of Gardnerian Wicca, and her influence is is very obvious on it. She also wrote—I don't remember how many books: two, four, six, eight, eleven books um, mm-hmm. that are connected to her. There, there is a uh, autobiography. Actually, oh, ten books. The eleventh book is the autobiography that was written about her. Uh, which I Mm -hmm. don't have, but it's on my list. Like doing my research, I ordered a book, and I have another book on my wish list, and then I have three of her books, so I'm excited to get more of them. Wow. Okay. (laughs) Um, But she wrote a lot, and and not just for herself. She wrote books of poetry that were never published. She contributed to a magazine. She created – different pagan organizations she was involved with the british government for a while some people believe she may have been a spy um she was involved with some very famous covens that we will talk about and she was also sadly weirdly involved with the far right movement of the uk for a short time yeah, uh, yeah. and and some like her biographer uh, robert cochran believes that not robert cochran Robert Cochran's the clan of the Tubal Cain. Who am I thinking of? Was
2: it Philip Heselton? Yes, thank you,
1: Hesselton. Um, he he wrote her biography, and he thinks that she was involved with the far right movement as a spy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm if I believe that, but I think that's a lovely potentiality. But um, she actually left the organization, writing a letter that she. Uh, was not happy with the movement's um, feelings about the women's movement and homosexual rights and something Mm -hmm. else. And basically she was like, these are more progressive ideas. So you know, if she was a far right sympathizer, she clearly changed her mind and even in the late nineties was talking about gay rights um, very publicly and openly. So, um, you know, a complicated lady, who has had huge influence on us modern practitioners. Mm-hmm.
2: By the way, it was sex education.
1: Oh, so yeah, thank you. It
2: was very much about, you know, um, it was things that she obviously threw, and if you're going to figure out from her beginning contact with Gardner, is mm-hmm. you know, naked uh, process, We, you know, to be sky clad was part of a lot of the ones of the traditions and the different covens that came and went in her life, but I think it's... Yeah. And that in itself led to, if you think about it, if you're going to do that, then, you know, the other part is sex education and knowing what you're... where things go and how they go rather than, you know, mm-hmm. the way it was, which was nobody talked about it and it was, you know, it was never... there was nothing about that to be ever considered. So, I think yeah, that, yeah She, you know... And... You say she, you know, was, they thought she was, you know, an infiltrator. Well, you know, the funny part is when I started reading and I started going, she worked at Bletchley Park in Second Mm -hmm. World War now, you know, as a translator. And then they had, she moved to different places. They moved to different places. Well, there's a TV series, a British TV series, called The Bletchley Girls or The Bletchley Ladies. Mm -hmm. I can't remember. Anyway, it's about that particular situation. They're not just translators, but they became. At least as far as you know how the show has been created, and I have to believe there's some reality to it as well that um there was a you know doing that that quote spy thing or infiltrating mm-hmm. so i wouldn't I wouldn't totally negate Heselton even though I know he probably is very uh pro uh, Valente's behavior being, you yeah. know, anything weird or strange, and it would, you know, not necessarily
1: pedestal, possibly, but that kind of thing. So yeah, I mean, yeah. it does seem it's it's not outside the realm of possibility for sure, just mm-hmm. based on the organization she was involved with, and you know, I, I would say also, she she wasn't raised religiously, which was kind of unusual for the time her her spouses being foreign born, like these are all things that would suggest she was not more far right leaning, but connecting in with witchcraft for her was very much this nationalistic process because there is an indigenous religion of Britain of the u k. Uh, and part of her desire, and pr- at least my interpretation of it, part of her desire in practicing witchcraft was to help people return to a relationship with the land and with nature and with their ancestry, like British ancestry. Uh, And, you know, the the relationship Brits have with the land is something that Americans don't have. Uh, And, you know, it's a whole complicated conversation we can have at another time. But So there does make sense to be almost nationalistic, Streak to that, like wanting Britons to connect to the land of Britain and reconnect to their indigenous spirituality, that's not necessarily like being down on homosexuality or being down on immigration or blah, blah, blah. And so there may have been a, a desire that she was seeking out more connection of British land and finding herself in a different place than what she thought she was going into. You know what I mean? Right. Inspired God, right. like, you know, anyway, yeah. But I do like, um, supposedly, uh, you know, I always take these stories about, like, our elders with a grain of salt, because there is so much fantasy built into some of our stories. But supposedly, uh, in, in her young childhood, she said that she had an early spiritual experience by staring at the moon. And this isn't elaborated on um, in some of the writings about her. I don't have her autobiography, or not her autobiography. I don't have Heselton's biography that's on my list to get, because I'm curious if there's more about that, that moment Mm -hmm. when she was a young child. Um, Yeah. Yeah, but she she uh, supposedly first practiced magic at the age of 13 and did some spell work and believed that it worked. And so from then on, she sort of, Continued to practice spell work, keeping it hidden because the school that she was sent to uh, looked down upon it. And she was sent to a convent school in order to get her to stop practicing witchcraft, and she basically ran away. <laughs> yeah,
2: I thought that was great. She ran away at 15 because she hated it. And her parents mm-hmm. were very upset about it. I mean, it was uh, what the father was Methodist and the mother was um,
1: Congregationalist.
2: Was Congregationalist. And, you know, so she she obviously, it was, again, a rebellion, but not necessarily, I think, a conscious one. She was following something that, you know, in light of being a teenager, we all know what that means. We kind of walk away from some mm-hmm. things that our families do, and then we may come back again afterwards. But I found it interesting that she, uh, she did say, I'm not yeah. coming back to this place. I'm leaving. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty brave, actually, for a 15-year-old at that time, or yeah. at any time.
1: Well, and and there's something interesting, too, about the age of 15 in the U.K. Um, that's when you can – well, it's not like that anymore, but, like, for, for my spouse, who's from the U.K., and his mother – At 15, you can leave school and take an apprenticeship. So, like, my mother-in-law, she left teen and went and became an apprentice at at a hair salon. She became a hairdresser. So it wasn't that unusual to leave school at 15 and not go back. You would have to then join the workforce or have some sort of plan, which is what Doreen Valiente did. She became – she worked at a factory and then she became a clerk at the unemployment assistance board. So she immediately went into working. Um, right. Because right. fifteen in night, you know, night in the thirties, it was is very different than fifteen now. You know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And you know, mm-hmm. obviously, she she bought her feet in the working world, and I think that's also another. Um, in my opinion, looking at the history, I'm going, well, you know, that meant that she started to think about the world differently, because you go to work, you you know get a paycheck, you come back, you know, it's whatever you're doing is you're doing it in this other manner that puts you in line with the adult thinking, even if your brain isn't completely, you know, what I mean, and I say that, that it's not completely hooked up scientifically, it, it's, been proven as true, but the point is is that she actually, I think that time frame, not that I'm touting it as being a better, I think that people connected with more adult things and put themselves in that space, whereas, and I'm going to get a little political, um, that we have subsequently and, uh, you know, gone and coddled. Our kids to a degree that they don't grow up Mm -hmm. in a manner, unless Mm -hmm. they're, you know, unless they're either third world or they're um, socially or ethnically depressed, Mm -hmm. you know, in terms of that. But for the bulk of it, and I'm not even going to say white, I'm just going to say for the bulk of the people that have this other world that they have made and lived and worked to get, They've taken their children and given them the best, supposedly, for what they're trying to do. But in a way, they've hampered them.
1: And mm-hmm. they've, they've
2: hampered that that maturity level that I, you know, in reading this, I mean, my father was born in 1902. So he lived through, you know, the Spanish War, the Spanish Flu, uh, World War One, mm-hmm. World War Two you know, and uh, through all of that. And um, so, you know, I got a history of that as a a person. But with reading Doreen's story, it kind of just, it kind of put things into a different viewpoint for me about how my father helps me out, what he, you know, what we've done for our children, how we function, and, Mm -hmm. you know, want to get into a futuristic thing about it. But it just, it was so different. So for for her to start a life at 15, wow. Yeah. yeah.
1: And it it wasn't until after her second. So her first husband died in the war. Um, Hmm. He was on a a Navy boat that was sunk off the West coast of Africa. Well, he was declared missing in action. It's assumed he died. It's highly likely. So around 1942, she was widowed. And then in 1943, she met her second husband. In 1944, they married. They moved again. She moved a lot, like you mentioned earlier. Uh, and it was shortly thereafter that she started developing an interest in the occult. And her and her husband moved to a town nearby her mother. So she had her mother nearby and her husband nearby. And basically through the rest of her husband's life, at least, well, and her mother's, she practiced the occult, and she was involved with different covens, and she did a lot of research and was heavily involved, but neither of them w- was involved. Her husband was never involved, and she kept it kind of on the DL and a secret until her mother died. It wasn't until her mother died that she became much more open and public about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after her husband died, it was you know even more so, uh, her second husband, but... Um, but clearly, he had to have known something was going on, you know. And and there are some hints that she would tell her mother and her husband, like, "Oh, I went to this thing and I attended this occult thing." But she never told them she had been initiated, for example. So it was okay right. that she was like going to these weird things, but as long as as she wasn't fully invested, you know, that they would they would just ignore it. So I, I found right. that really interesting. But um, so what you know, it wasn't until. If she was born in 1922. Her first husband died before she was even, she, if he died in 1942, she was only 20 when she was widowed. Right. right, right. And this is when she really starts to dig into the occult on her own. And supposedly, she started practicing ceremonial magic on her own at that point, from book, right directly out of books um, based on the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Uh, very ceremonial. It wasn't until the 50s that she connected with Gerald Gardner and um, got really involved in what we now consider Wicca or the witchcraft of Britain, so to speak.
2: Mm-hmm. Interesting you mentioned about the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. She also mm-hmm. read extensively Aleister Crowley. She she really yes. delved into it. Not that she went into it, she just, her interest of knowing Um, what it was, you know, what was actually going on, what was this, and that holds her in good stead for when she deals with Gerald Gardner, and I will let that be a a lead-in for whatever you want to say, but I think that it's fascinating when I, again, we had snippets of this when we were talking about the Gardnerian tradition, but now Mm -hmm. I got like this whole other, it's like a whole other point of reference that comes with it, and it's like, wow, now I understand. Yeah. She she you know, like a lot of us, we may read about and we will research the dark arts or the strain the the, the the other side of what we tend to feel more comfortable with because it's to know it is at least to understand where some of that comes from and why we want to do what we want to do even better.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and what, you know, one of the things that really got her excited about more of the witchcraft side of things rather than the occult side of things was mm-hmm. greatly influenced by Margaret Murray. And unfortunately, so Margaret Murray wrote these books um, and papers about the witch cults and how she um, was a folklorist and an archaeologist and, and basically said that before modern times, there were witch cults that had survived and everything was matriarchal and blah, 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 blah. Pretty much everything that she's written has been disproven. So Mm -hmm. it's a beautiful thought and a theory that all of these cultures had witch cults and that there was this underground uh, matriarchal system, but it probably isn't true. (laughs) And so – she got really excited about this concept and through her readings on these concepts found out that there was a witchcraft museum um, in England on the Isle of Man and Gerald Gardner was the resident witch quote unquote of the witchcraft museum. So she started writing to the museum and the museum put her in touch with Gerald Gardner and they wrote letters to each other for quite a long time, which, you know, is amazing and beautiful and fascinating. And what you, what I always think of is, how would that work in a modern time? Well, in a modern time, you would slide into someone's DMs. You would be like, hey, I'm going to message you on Instagram because I saw you posted this thing about witchcraft, and I'd like to have a conversation with you about it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and this is like writing letters is like the old form of instant messaging, you know? So really? it was it was a long time before they actually met face to face, and when they met, like pretty much right off the bat, he gave her a copy of his book high magic's aid with it's a, It's a fictionalized book, but it's very much like what Margaret Murray was espousing in her writings. Uh, he talked to her about ritual nudity uh, and then in nineteen fifty three on the summer solstice, you gotta love that, she was initiated. Uh, she got to read from his book of shadows, Dor- uh, Gerald Gardner specifically. I'm not sure if I said that. <laughs> uh, that same visit, her and Gerald Gardner, and uh, Grimes, who uh, Edith Woodford Grimes, who is also known as Daffo, who supposedly, um, who initiated Gerald Gardner. Whole long story that we won't talk about today, probably. But the three of them went to Stonehenge, where the Druids were doing their summer solstice ritual. So if you've ever been initiated into any tradition or done an initiation ritual, it's pretty big and intense and and, and transformative. For me I'm thinking, and then you went to Stonehenge and you participated yeah. in a druid <laughs> ritual, like that day would have blown my fucking mind. I would have been like totally spiritually blown out. What a cool day. <laughs> mhm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It would have been, again, that
2: was like taking one level and pumping it up even more. And the fact that that happened, I think, provides you with the kind of, we'll talk more American kind of woo woo stuff, the energy she had in her and that she could hold, that she would do something like that and not become a
1: puddle. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was shortly after that that Gardner invited her to his coven where she met the other coven members. Who they are is not known. There's conjecture and assumptions, but um, she became the high priestess of that coven pretty quick. And this is what I love. And I'm going to kind of skip around here for a minute. Uh, you know, we've been kind of following like this timetable, but I'm going to skip around a little bit. So she gets heavily involved with Gardner. They have a coven. She becomes the high priestess of that coven. The way it works in most British traditional witchcraft covens is the high priestess is in charge. She decides what happens. She makes the rules. Uh, And so Gerald Gardner and Doreen Valiente started to have very different feelings about witchcraft in general and about how the coven should run. Gerald Gardner really wanted publicity. He wanted, he wanted the public to know about witchcraft. Was that because he didn't want to hide in the shadows? Was that because he wanted fame? Was that because he wanted witchcraft to be accessible? We don't know. It's probably a little bit of all of those things, but Doreen Valiente was not interested in witchcraft being mainstream or being famous or any of that. And so they had a very, pretty dramatic split. And, you know, anyone who practices Wicca or is involved with any witchcraft community that it is the joke that it's the first great schism of witchcraft, and that we've done nothing since but have dramatic schisms in the witchcraft community.
2: Right, right, exactly. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? And, and
1: yeah, the fi- I just want, the final straw that broke the, her back in this relationship with Gardner was her and some of the other members of the coven put together some laws. What they wanted to like ratify their structure and basically say. We're going to keep some of this stuff a secret. We're, we're, we're going to keep some of the, the, the names of the members a secret. We're, we're going to turn this around a little bit. At the same time, Gerald Gardner found out they were creating these quote-unquote laws he implemented his own laws, and he said that these laws he was he was like oh we don't need laws these already exist and these were handed down to me by the New Forest Coven who initiated me so these are older laws therefore more valid laws and basically it says we get to replace you as High Priestess so there is a lot of argument whether these quote unquote laws that Gerald Gardner said were handed down to him were were true or whether he just made them up to get won over on her my opinion is he totally made that shit up but I can't prove or disprove any of it so we could argue about it until we're blue in the face the bottom line is she tried to create rules he superseded those rules they had a big blowout and she left Gardneri and Wicca behind and moved on to do other things
2: um I would like to step in and sort of say that before all that when he did give her the book of shadows at some point she started to see a lot of the Crowley things in it. Oh, yeah. She That's
1: right.
2: that up, and she, you know, and then he kind of, there was some statement sort of like, well, if you can do it better, do it, and she went she ahead and, God darn, she did it better. She and, did. <laughs> you know, she wound up with, you know, the, the charge of the goddess, and she put in yeah. some of these things that have become iconic for our yeah. our spiritual and religious path in witchcraft slash Wicca because they're they're not one of the same but they are part and parts so of like brother and sister kind of a thing, um, mm-hmm. and I found that that was the thing we talked about with the Gardnerian tradition is that she didn't get all the credit at the time no because she was a woman but she was also yeah. she and now looking at it it was also i think a part of her not wanting to be in the public to get the kind of credit that he was trying to get meaning mm-hmm. she wanted credit but she didn't she wanted credit as a true um researcher and a uh, a writer rather than a uh you know uh, get out and and you're so great and wonderful and you know the, the mm-hmm. kind of like oh my god oh my god the personality the your thing. Yeah. Yeah. So but it was so much you know when i got that i was like look at that and then you start looking at the different things she wrote for the for the uh book of shadows and others that we know of as standards so right. you know she did write it better actually if you're going to say that and then oh, of course, yeah. this other thing took place so
1: yeah the charge of the goddess You know, it's it's inspired by Charles Leland and the Book of Aradia. If you're familiar with that, it's very um, very much inspired by that. Some of the language is word for word out of Leland's writings, but the Charge of the Goddess is like one one prose or poetry that most witches and pagans use or are familiar with or have a relationship to. It's a beautiful piece of prose. I love it. and it's you know it's used in Gardnerian ritual obviously, but it's also used in all other kinds of rituals. Uh, it's it's really lovely. If you don't have, if you haven't read The Charge of the Goddess, go look it up online. And the version that I use is Doreen Valiente's version that's been adapted by Starhawk. So just a little bit of the language is different, but ultimately it's it's not that different. So it's quite beautiful. Um, We're out of time we've
2: got to look at. um, I don't mean to interrupt because we're going to have to speed this up. And there is something about Starhawk that I want you to say because of your your connection with reclaiming. But we need to throw Mm. in
1: our our commercial. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I didn't even notice what time it was. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break. (laughs) We'll be right back.
2: We'll be back.
0: Magic is coming your way right after these messages. The LMC Radio Network is a media alliance whose excellent shows include The Lucky Mojo Hoodoo Rootwork Hour with Catherine Ironwood and Conjurman Ollie, Sundays 3 to 4:30, The Crystal Silence League Hour with John Saint Germain, Tuesdays 5 to 6. The Witch, the Priestess, and the Cauldron with Elvira Love and Phoenix Lafay Fridays 1 to 2 and Blue Flag Root Radio with Lady Muse Fridays 7 to 8. All time specific at 3 Hours for Eastern sponsored by the Lucky Mojo Curio Company in Forestville, California and online at LuckyMojo.com
2: That wasn't so bad. Uh, No, it was quick and, and all the way. So um, we left her with breaking with uh Gerald Gardner going off on her mm-hmm. own. And yeah. then next stop probably would be Robert Cochran and where the witchcraft where Witchcraft lives. So I will let you continue your story here.
1: Yeah, sure. Well so, you know, quite a bit happened between Gardner, um and well, where did she I'm, I'm trying to find the actual date. I never can remember date like the numbers just don't stick in my head. Okay, so 1953. Yeah, 1953 is when she was initiated. Got it.
2: So she was
1: initiated in 1953. So for many years after that, you know, there was other things, there was Gardner, there was a breakup, there was her own coven, there was the breakup of her own coven. (laughs) There was um, mending of fences and blah 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 he, you know Gardner died in sixty four and when he died they, it was believed that they were in on good terms the same year that Gardner died in nineteen sixty four is when she was introduced to Robert Cochran. Uh, what I will say about Robert Cochran is he was a very complicated and uh, i'm going to just be blunt um, he was mentally ill like he he suffered from um, probably undiagnosed mental illness uh, and there are people who still father that or follow the Cochrane version of witchcraft there's a great book if you're curious about it it's powerful shit it's amazing it is beautiful and profound and uh, in, in my opinion my so, so just me here this is just Phoenix um, Cochrane is a beautiful, sad, stark example of the thin line between genius and madness. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a modern book called Besom, Stang, and Sword. And it's written by um, Tara Maguire and Chris Ar- Arapolo. I'm not saying that right. I'm sorry. Um, but it, they are followers of modern Cochrane witchcraft. So it's a really great book if you're curious about the Cochrane lineage of witchcraft. But Robert Cochrane was—he um, said he claimed to be a hereditary witch. He was very charismatic. He supposedly didn't want to be famous, and so he had a lot in common. Cochrane um, created the Clan of Tubal Cain, which you may have heard of if you are familiar with old school witchcraft traditions. But Cochrane was also sleeping around and talking a lot of shit about Gardner. And Gardnerian practitioners and Valiente got sick of that crap. And so her and Cochrane had a breakup. Like their, their coven, their work together only lasted a couple of years. Um, but on summer solstice, again, summer solstice in 1966, Robert Cochrane committed ritual suicide. So he didn't just kill himself, he killed himself for a ritual purpose. He sacrificed himself for a ritual purpose. Uh, And he was a young dude. He was a young dude. It's really, in my opinion, really sad. Um, So there you go. Well, it's interesting
2: (laughs) because the way they said it in one of the things, Cochran died of a heart attack,
1: heart disease.
2: That's that.
1: Yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, obviously there's controversy about that, right? Because, no one wants to make suicide look like a glamorous thing to do. You know, suicide is, um, you know, that's someone who's suffering and struggling. Uh, and, and my opinion, again, so my opinion, and I don't mean to be offensive, but I feel like Cochrane had some serious demons that he was not getting help for. Um, and that maybe that life could have been longer and we could have had more of his genius if he didn't go through that process. And there are some people who would say he did not do that, that he, you know, died of heart disease or blah, 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 blah. But, All right. um, you know, I think that the main, the main convo about it is, yes, you know, it, it was, uh, he was 35, right? Like he's 35, most uh, 35-year-olds aren't dying of heart disease, you know? So anyway, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Blah blah blah. We're not talking about Cochrane, We're talking about Valiente and what a badass lady she was. Yeah, yeah. She
2: obviously, you know, went on into. She actually did more publications by this time. She was writing more mm-hmm. articles and she was, you know, making herself. You know, she was putting out her information, and I think that was yeah. really um, the next step in her development, as we see it in the history of her life. And I think that. When she wound up, I think it was after Cochrane in 1970 to 84, the Pagan Front, the National mm-hmm. Front, and other publications that she started, you know, connecting with, working with, read, writing for. Yeah. So. Yeah,
1: and in 1972, during that window, is when her husband, di- her second husband, died. Um, she moved into uh, in Brighton. She lived in, in um, government housing in Brighton which Brighton, for folks who aren't familiar with England, Brighton's a pretty progressive um, forward area of the UK. Mm-hmm. You know, I think for generally speaking to be generic, the UK is way more progressive than the United States. Uh, but there are, you know, pockets of more, just like in the United States, there are pockets of more progressive people and regions, and Brighton's one of those more progressive areas. Mm-hmm. Um, And it, you know, it was during this time that she started to get a little bit more, like you were saying, Elvira, she was publishing more, she was putting herself more out there. Uh, I think after the death of her mother and then her husband, she was a little less concerned about um, keeping quiet. In 1978, Mm -hmm. she became friends with the Ferrars, who a lot of folks who are into modern witchcraft, you'll be familiar with Janet and Stuart Farrar, they wrote The Witch's Bible, um, mm-hmm. Which was basically Gardner's Book of Shadows. At this point, there was a lot of drama in the publishing world because everyone was scrambling to publish uh, books that were not supposed to be for the public consumption. Uh, Lady right. Sheba was one of the first people to get a book contract. She was, this is uh, neither here nor there. I can't, I don't even know if we've talked about this before, but I can't help not say it. Lady Sheba <laughs> was an American. Who was initiated over the phone by Gerald Gardner and then turned around and got a publishing contract to publish his book of shadows? Like, that just infuriates me. Wow. <laughs> As a Gardnerian, like, it makes me so mad. So basically, Valiente worked with the Ferrars and was like, instead of these people who only have fragments and weren't there and don't actually know, I'm gonna work with you two. And actually share the the truth and the beginnings. And and you two can publish this book with my blessing. So if you're interested in old school Gardnerian, you know, read Lady Sheba's book. It's still in print. You can still get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then read the Farrar's books. The Eight Sabbaths for Witches and the Witch's Way are the two books. But then they ended up being put together and published as one book very frequently. Um, And you can see the difference. Like, you can read it and be like, oh, this is word for word the same shit. Or here's where I can see something is missing. And even in the Ferrars book, stuff is missing. I'm just going to tell you as a Gardnerian, stuff is missing. Mm -hmm. There is um, oral lore in Gardnerian Wicca that has never been written down. So just know that if you're into Gardnerian Wicca, you probably want to find some Gardnerians to actually work with. Um, because there right. is hidden information, even with the books being published.
2: <clears throat> and it's in, blah, you know, blah, blah, from I that. getting on
1: soapboxes. Sorry. <laughs> it's
2: okay. Well, you know what? The funny part is is that we'll probably do it for every one of the beloved ancestral deads yeah. of our of our tradition because they crossed over. There was a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, mixing and matching and moving around and fascinating enough as it is, you know, it also created for this drama of everything as backdrops for a bunch of stuff. So, yeah, um, yeah, and 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 the I'm trying to look here because I'm looking at. Um, I mean, she obviously went in a lot more when she went into her autobiography and her final years so she could, you know, really talk about her, from her words what she experienced and how things kind of moved and, and grew um, yeah. in terms of that. So um, let's see, what else? Where do you want to go? We've got about ten minutes, so yeah. for something here.
1: <laughs> I'm like looking well, at it and going. So let's, let's say her books. So if, if people want to get her books, All of them are still in print. Um, They've been reprinted, right? Like all of the books that I have of hers are printed in the 2000s. Like this one's 2014. This one's 2000 something, 2007. So they're all, you can still get these books. They're not like, you know, dusty covers that are going to cost you hundreds of dollars. You can get them, but Her first book was published in 1962, and it's called Where Witchcraft Lives. Mm -hmm. That's the one that I had forgotten about and I ordered during my research. It's supposed to be here on Sunday. I'm really excited about it. (laughs) There you go. Then in in 1973, she published An ABC of Witchcraft. Mm -hmm. In 1975, she published Natural Magic. I have that one. It's pretty interesting. I'm actually putting these on my uh, to-be-read pile uh, because I haven't read them in decades. So I am uh, excited to dig back into all of this. This is my year of reading old esoteric books, so I'm excited. Um, Sorry. Then in 1978, she wrote Witchcraft for Tomorrow. And I I actually have? Yeah. Yeah, I do. In 1989, she wrote The Rebirth of Witchcraft. Uh in 2000, The Charge of the Goddess, I am unfamiliar with that one, so I'm going to have to look into it. 2011, uh, there was a limited edition of Where Witchcraft Lives that came out. Uh, in 2014, an expanded edition of The Charge of the Goddess came out. And then in 2016 is when her um, uh, Heselton biography was written, and that one's called Doreen Valiente, Witch. And that's that's new, obviously, 2016. It hasn't been out that long. And I know when it came out, people were excited about it. I haven't read it. That's Like I said, it's on my wish list now to get that one. So there you go. It's definitely worth picking up a couple of these and reading them and getting the vibe of who she was and what she brought into our culture as witches. And um, she's, you know, a, the, a practice of mine is working with the mighty dead, the mighty dead of the craft. These are our ancestors that carry the lineage of witchcraft. And on my ancestor altar, I have certain mighty dead images. Like I have a picture of Dorian Valiente okay. and a picture of Gerald Gardner and Margot Adler. They're, they are all on my mighty dead altar. So if you have an ancestor altar, you might consider adding witchcraft lineage holders to it, giving them some homage and energy and gratitude for carrying the torch to 2020. Yeah. Like I, you know, I I don't doubt that if Doreen Valiente was still alive, her mind would be fucking boggling over what witchcraft looks like right now, especially due to social no, like, media. Right. Like right. crazy. Oh God. Yes.
2: <laughs> One of the things I did want to add, because during the the latter part of her life, the last few years of her life, She obviously, you know, was writing her book. But interesting enough is she became – she started to correspond, you know, with a wide range of people. And Mm -hmm. this is why I was so excited. One of the things she did was she met with Starhawk when Starhawk Mm -hmm. was over in Britain. And you and I will have to deal with this. She did also communicate with – it was sort of like it's like I'm hemming and hawing here. American Wiccan and scholar of pagan studies Aidan A. Kelly. She disagreed mm-hmm. that, with Kelly because of the fact that had been no force Coven and the uh, you know Gardner and all of that. And it was, mm-hmm. but um, these were two people that we have talked about in different forms. And obviously she was uh, communicating with them. So or they were communicating with her as well. So I mean it was really yeah. kind of interesting how that weeding to the next generation was coming.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, think about, like, in the late 90s, Starhawk was pretty fucking famous. You know, her yep. book was written and published in 1979. Uh, and the, her book, her first book, The Spiral Dance, that revolutionized witchcraft in the 80s and into the 90s. So so imagine Starhawk, who was so inspired by Doreen Beliente, getting to meet her and Doreen Valiente getting to see this representative of what modern witchcraft was in the nineties. Like what a beautiful meeting that would have been if I could be a fly on the wall, you know, like that's so cool. Um, And, you know, I I've not made a secret about my distaste for Aiden Kelly. I'm not a fan of that guy. I think he's shady. uh, And he's done a lot of shady things in the witchcraft community, including outing people um, and then bouncing and and returning only when he needs money. Like I'm not a fan of that guy. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I'm pretty loud about my opinions. <laughs> well, it shows there's a sense
2: of integrity and in ethics. And I think yeah. that even with the infighting of different, you know, covens going from this to that to the other thing and whatever is that yeah. there's, there's a line you, you draw in the sand of ethics and integrity, and that, I think, is yeah. when you cross that, you get the kind of feelings you have about certain people in our
1: yeah.
2: community, period.
1: Yeah, and, you know, I think I it's do important. Too. When, we ha- when we talk about the mighty dead, when we talk about ancestors of the craft, when we talk about people who have been influential on what modern witchcraft looks like, we need to be honest about who they are and who they were. Because there are predators in every religious system and in every spiritual group, sadly. And if we try to lie or cover up the fact that there are shitty people who are trying to be leaders and take up the mantle of leadership in our communities, if we let them get away with it, that's how abuse continues to perpetuate. So if I see something shady, I'm going to call it out, and I want other people to feel safe in calling it out too, right? And when we're talking about, like... Some of Gerald Gardner's behaviors would not be tolerated now. Like there's some things about him that I do not like. So I think it's Mm -hmm. important we're honest about that shit. Let's not let abusers in our spaces. They can get out. Exactly.
2: Exactly. All for that. That's a wonderful way to kind of close our our session here. I think that ultimately – You know, what we try to do in our show is to bring information, to to give our Mm -hmm. points of view, to remind people, to remind people that there is a need to, you know, have the integrity and ethics and um, not just be bowled over by some message that you want to consistently believe, but you'll – and you'll do anything for that. It's – that you got you got to you got to have that sense of, of integrity to make things really work and I'm you know it's hard to hold in a in a in the kind of cultures that have you know we've come into yeah recently.
1: yeah so. absolutely and on uh, that exciting and upbeat note <laughs> we're yeah. at our time Yay! <laughs> <laughs> we are at our time that yeah. was
2: very intense. I, I, you know, when I say intense, it was like we had a lot of information. This woman did a lot, and yeah. you know, to try and condense, you know, just history and then talk about our feelings and how what affected us and where we were in all of this in the in the this, this situation. It was very well done. I am impressed by by the way we handled
1: this. This is good. So yeah. Yeah. next yeah. week so, we are doing. Yeah. Go ahead. You got it. That's exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> Well then, you can say going it to ask it. a witch. Yay! Yeah, and we do still have space if you want us to answer your question. If you are have a a concern, question, curiosity, uh, if there's a topic you want to hear us address, please do write in. Go to our website, witchpriestesscauldron.com. Fill out the little questionnaire. Send us your question. Uh, we have some questions already, but we could squeeze a few more in, so please don't think it's too late. Uh, get those questions in, and next week we will answer them.
2: Yes. After that, the following week will be our regular uh, rerun for Spring Equinox. Yay!
1: That's right. The spring is here.
2: Yeah. Somehow, right. I didn't think it was going to get here,
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it does. All right, well. We will see you on the radio next week.
1: Yes. Have a good one.
2: Bye-bye.
0: the Priestess and the Cauldron A radio podcast on the LMC radio network Our podcast airs live Every Friday at 6pm Pacific and will be available For download Questions or comments on this show Or ideas for upcoming shows Can be sent to our website And that's at www.witchpriestesscauldron.com Again that's witchpriestesscauldron.com.